0: to the 60th episode of Tokyo Alumni podcast today our guest was originally a student at Alba International School she entered the school as an ESL student uh, despite that fact she graduated there as a valedictorian of their middle school class of 1999 after AGIS she attended Quaker High School in Pennsylvania then went on to study at the, uh, Washington University in St. Louis after graduating Washington University of St. Louis she went on to enter a PhD program in political science at Stanford University and left with a master's degree uh, but left the PhD program early. Um, after Stanford she worked for an Asian VC in Silicon Valley then moved back to Japan where she started a career in M&A advisory. She worked at various firms including Credit Suisse, Deloitte before going freelance doing translation and analyst work for financial institutions, consulting firms and funds. Her now husband got seconded to his firm in the Mumbai office, so she went to India during that time, and that's when she met with uh, yoga. It was during that time where she met yoga when she was on vacation at Sri Lanka, which we'll talk about later, and how it relates a bit to her lifestyle, which includes things like her diet, as well as her consumption and mindset in regards to sustainable living. She started a YouTube channel in 2018, where she shares vegan cooking recipes, mindfulness, and sustainable living ideas. Uh, recently, she's moved to Nagano in the mountains, and she and she hosts various cooking and yoga-themed offline and online events. She recently released her vegan cookbook *Ochi de Vegan: Jiyokakande Tabisuru Sekai Aji, which has already earned a bestseller label on Amazon for being number one seller in the specialized cooking category. Welcome to the podcast, Natsuki.
1: Thank you for having me today. Hi, I'm Natsuki. <laughs>
0: Hi, And, um, you know, congratulations on the book. Um, I think you have a hard copy with you. Can you tell us a bit about the show? Sure.
1: sure. Uh, so it's my first cookbook ever. And so as um, as you said, I started my YouTube channel in 2018. I don't have any, you know, cooking like chef experience or background or anything like that. I just started posting um, cooking videos and now I have 83,000 subscribers to my channel. Yeah, and <laughs> I just published my new cookbook. So I'm very excited and um, it's a vegan cookbook. So it doesn't use any um, animal based food, but I introduce recipes from 14 different countries and regions. And um, it's only in Japanese at this point. But if you have any vegan Japanese friends, uh, maybe you can recommend this book to them.
0: That's really cool. Uh, we were just talking offline how definitely, you know, being vegan, being a vegetarian seems to be something on the rise. My youngest brothers mm. a vegan. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a really cool thing. And we'll talk about your channel a bit later, too, because there's kind of these multiple sort of facets that you're mm-hmm. involved in that all seem to sort of overlap in regards to sort of this healthy living, whether it's yoga sure. or, you know, sort of consumption patterns, skincare and whatnot. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Natsuki the person first. So um, mm-hmm. you have this very unique background where you... Entered ALBA International School. So you're the second guest we've had uh, with the ALBA background uh, with very little English, um, uh, mm. with an English background. And uh, despite that fact, you graduated as a valedictorian. So can you tell us a bit about sort of the challenges you had uh, joining ALBA and how mm-hmm. you overcame those challenges?
1: So actually, uh, the reason why I entered JIS uh, was because. <laughs> my parents made me take all these like exams juken, for middle school in Japan, and I didn't pass any of the exams. <laughs> I didn't get into any school. So mm. and then I told my parents like, oh, I don't want to go to, you know, like a public school where all my friends are going because all my friends knew that I was trying to get into a private school. So I didn't want to, like, tell them, like, I didn't get into any school. (laughs) So um, my parents put me into uh, international school, which was JIS. And I don't know about now, but at that time, uh, JIS had an ESL program where you could uh, enter without knowing any English at all, (laughs) which was my case. (laughs) Right. So... Um, like I I think I knew alphabet (laughs) but that was it so I would go to you know the class and then everything is taught in English of course and teacher would write the homework on whiteboard at the end of the class and I didn't even know what the homework was but I would just write it down on my notebook like you know just write it down and then I go home and Uh, look it up in the dictionary, look up all the words, and then I figure out what the homework was. (laughs) That's how I started. And then, um, I don't know, slowly, well, I I guess the motivation was kind of like, I, I failed, you know, I didn't get into, into any school. So that was kind of like my motivation. Like I started as a failure (laughs) and I wanted to succeed. So I studied really hard. I mean, like really, really hard. (laughs) And then um, after one year, I went from ESL to mainstream, you know, classes. And then, yeah, graduated from there and went on to study in the U.S. So.
0: I mean, that's quite a quick turnaround, though, from going from the ESL program to mainstream mm. to then you were in the U.S. and then obviously mm. Washington university and a, and a master's at Stanford. I mean, that timeline. So between the master's at Stanford uh, versus when you started, it was no more than 10 years. So you, you were saying earlier motivation played a key role. Do you feel mm. like Alba as an institution also provided you with like a good sort of program, like a good way to basically help you convert from that ESL program onto the mainstream program?
1: Oh, sure, definitely. I mean, all the resources were there. It's just up to you, like how much you want to study and work hard. And, you know, Um, so of course, uh, (laughs) being young kids, a lot of the students were just slacking off and <laughs> not doing anything. But I was really, I guess, determined to to, you know, to get this, this, this English thing, right? <laughs> so I studied really hard and um teachers, of course, they helped me a lot. And yeah.
0: That's great to hear. I'm I'm not like sponsored by ALBA or anything, but I just wanted to <laughs> Uh, yeah they really helped you out and that's Mm -hmm. really nice to hear about sort of motivation too because I feel Mm -hmm. like in education the recent movement you know especially last 10 20 years has been sort of like it's good to support students but there's also kind of like everything needs to be if a student doesn't do something oh how how can we support you you know like as if like that is the problem but as you said. Sometimes the problem is just simply motivation. You're going to get students mm. who are motivated, who are going to open up their own roads, and you'll get other students who, You might provide them with support, but if the motivation's not there, at the end of True. the day, I mean, it's very much your individual, you know, uh, c- capacity and you know propensity to want to work hard. And um, mm. you know, so you go on to an American high school. Um, Do you feel like your international school background prepared you for that time uh, where you joined uh, American high school?
1: Uh, Yes, and no. (laughs) Okay, so um, yes, I was prepared in terms of, you know, just studying as a regular student and all that, but because JIS at the time, I don't know about now, but at the time, it was mostly like Japanese kids. So uh, there were a few um, kids from uh, outside of Japan, but they were mostly Japanese. So of course, in in the classroom, we would speak in English and everything was taught in English, but outside of class, we would all speak in Japanese, right? Because we are Japanese. (laughs) Um, So in terms of like social life, I wasn't so used to like interacting with other kids in English. So Mm -hmm. that was, I guess, hard part, Um, socializing with people of different background and from, because my high school had students from like all over the world, not just, you know, Americans. So um, it was, it was good and bad. Um, I guess I went in there with open mind and uh, made, friends from different places. so
0: mm-hmm. That's
1: very interesting,
0: too, that, you know, your parents and you decided to take that Alba for three years, the USA for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, there's a very popular app called Clubhouse. And through that, um, mm-hmm. I've spoken to a lot of parents about, you know, there's just so many options, right? Boarding school, St. Mary, ACIJ. When you graduated Alba, um, I'm, what I'm curious about is, I imagine the first choice was probably to just sort of go to another INTA. But why did you guys decide to go to the USA instead of stay in Tokyo?
1: Well, actually, (laughs) my parents weren't thinking about sending me to another INTA, international school at all, (laughs) because uh, (laughs) the other international schools are so expensive that Mm. uh, the tuition is so expensive that they thought, Well, like, it's kind of like very similar to sending me abroad anyway. So Mm. why stay in Japan and, you know, like, well, they thought I I would get better education outside. So, of course, I I wouldn't know because (laughs) I didn't go. But yeah,
0: Uh, it's it's a great point that, you know, there just seems to be various ideologies and it seemed to work out for you. Right. You end up um, Mm. at university. Uh, of Washington and St. Louis. And there you earn a degree and then you go on to Stanford. And we talked about this off air a bit. I I didn't know this was a, a move you can do. Even though you were in the PhD program, you were able mm-hmm. to basically get a master's in political science. And then once you got your master's, you kind of had the option to just, just leave. So um, we had a guest previously uh, called uh, Yoshi, who did something similar, although he stayed in his PhD a bit longer. Do you looking back, feel like that was the right choice to stop with a master's and not pursue that PhD?
1: I think so. (laughs) Because I saw so many people staying there for so long, like four years, five years, it takes about uh, six years to complete PhD. And some people they take even longer, like 10 years. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But anyway, so Uh, But when you get to like fifth year, third year, fifth year, fourth year, like they really don't have any other choice but to stay and stick with it because they haven't worked at all in the regular companies. They don't have any practical skills. So they have to, you know, stay there and finish their PhD and hope that they get a position at another university or at a think tank, like a research institution, something like that. So I guess I didn't want to be in the situation where I don't have any choice, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted, I I guess I started to feel very worried that I don't know anything about this world. (laughs) Like I was studying politics and you know, science or politics, and doing research on, you know, why, why countries go to war, why do, um, you know, certain, you know, economies work in different ways, other than, you know, this ways, whatever. And then I was like, but I've never worked in the real world. And I don't know anything about real world. And I'm trying to do research, you know, so I was like, I should get some experience. Outside of this mm. academia, because academia is such a, what can I say? Like, it's a very unique community. It's mm. kind of different from real world. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to go out and um, and uh, work. And then if I felt like I really wanted to complete my PhD program, then I can always come back, you know? So I decided to leave at the point where I got my masters, and then, yeah, that's how I got here. And I, ne- I never went back to complete my PhD. But who knows? Maybe I will when I get old. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> you have to leave with a master's from Stanford, which is definitely something mm. I think most people would be quite satisfied with in regards to their educational uh, journey. Mm. And mm. you, you turn uh, to Japan right? you where work, you work in various M&A related uh, companies as well as, uh, I guess, projects. And um, right. at a certain point, you meet your now husband and mm-hmm. you guys travel to India. So during your time mm-hmm. there, there's sort of this pivotal moment, right, where you mm-hmm. meet yoga. So can you tell us a bit about how you met yoga? Also, how old were you when, when you started to do yoga seriously?
1: Uh, okay, so just uh clarify some things, I didn't meet yoga while I was in India, which is kind of ironic, because when I was in India, when we were living in India, I went to maybe one or two yoga classes, I, I had done yoga before, uh, you know, going to yoga studio, whatever, for exercise, mostly, um, not for like spiritual practice or anything like that. Um, but when we were in India, I didn't really get into getting, get into yoga at all. And then it was after I came back from India and I was sort of like wondering what I want to do with my life, you know, with my career, all that stuff. I, it was definitely around the age of like 30. I think women have their little, like, you know, midlife crisis moment when they're in their like, approaching age of 30. I guess Mm -hmm. for men, it's like when they're in their 40s, right? But for Mm -hmm. women, it's much earlier. (laughs) So we start to think about like, oh, like, how, you know, how should we how should I for my career? And because I guess for women, we have to think about like, kids, you know, raising family. So we start thinking about these things much earlier than men. But anyway, so it was around that time and I decided to take a trip to Sri Lanka just to clear my mind and detox and um, do all that. And at the, uh, this Ayurveda resort uh, center in Sri Lanka, they had yoga every morning from i think it was like 550 or something really early in the morning yeah. so i would get up every morning around like 530 and then just put some clothes on and go to the yoga room and do yoga practice and in the beginning it wasn't like i didn't really feel much i was just like you know doing exercise mm-hmm. but after maybe a week, I started to feel that something was changing definitely inside of me. And then after that, I practiced, I kept my practice. So every morning I do my yoga practice and that has been, uh, what, like four, four years maybe now, four or five years. It's been like that. So that's how I met yoga and that's how I continue to practice yoga, I guess.
0: Wow. Well, I mean that's what I really love about these international, you know, alums interviews, how, you know, one second we're talking about Tokyo and then we're talking mm. about Stanford and now we're talking about you and Sri Lanka. Um mm. yoga. And um yoga is obviously a big part of your life. And mm. what you mentioned earlier is there's this difference between approaching yoga with this mindset as it's sort of this exercise, right? Like if you ever mm gym member they often say oh you know you can do this or that or you can go to yoga for an hour how is that different uh from how you would say that you approach yoga from not just a physical exercise but a spiritual way
1: Mm. that's a really good question because i never thought yoga as um uh, something spiritual, I just, I might, well, before I started really getting into yoga, it was just, you know, like exercise and maybe getting a little bit flexibility here and there. But uh, after I started to practice it, like every morning, I guess the, the beginning of realization is your connection with the body because you live, your day, like every day, without really connecting with your body, like you don't really know your own self, (laughs) you know. Um, And I guess the um, sort of the first eye opening event that happened actually at the Sri Lankan resort was in the uh, yoga class, the teacher told us to do headstand. I don't know if you're familiar with headstand, but it's kind of like you go upside down and you're on your head.
0: (laughs) I know what it uh, looks like. Yeah, never done it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I knew of headstand. I had seen it happen, but I never thought I would do something like that myself, you know, because what if you break your neck? Like what what if you fall and like die? (laughs) So I never really thought about doing it myself, but the teacher like just casually said, okay, now headstand. I was like, what? Headstand now? (laughs) But the funny thing is it was about like a a week after, um, uh, after I got to the resort and somehow I felt ready. Like I was like, "I'm ready to do this, and then I did it, and of course it was my first time, so i I couldn't do like you know like just like headstand, but uh with teachers' support and help, I was able to get into the form, you know at least um and then at that moment, I guess. The two things happened. One was I real I realized that my body has this potential to do amazing things that you never thought was possible, you know. Mm. And second thing was it's all about fear, it's all it's all in your head. You think, oh, I cannot do this, like this is impossible. But if you overcome that fear, if you overcome that negative thought negative mindset then anything is possible and -hmm. those two things happen and that's how like I guess yoga became so important to me because yoga was something that taught me those two things and then I kept going and you know along the way you know like doing practice of course there are poses that I'm wasn't able to do and now I'm able to do and also there are poses that I still can't do I don't know if I'll ever be able to do but I keep at it like I keep practicing and every day is like different discovery every day is different um, realization and different conversation with your own self so that's how um (laughs) Yoga works for me and for a, a lot of people, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point you brought up about having a conversation with yourself, right? Especially, mm. especially people are busy, right? In jobs like in Tokyo, it's just people are so busy. It's like, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. And they don't mm-hmm. even think about how how they feel um, physically, especially with their own mm-hmm. bodies. It's definitely something I can mm-hmm. empathize. as. Uh, I've had shoulder surgery. I've had uh, two knee surgeries. So, there's mm. that great, uh, I think the Japanese way of saying it is like, mm. like sort of like, you know, converse with your body. And I, I often find myself kind of uh, not, not through yoga, but through running. I definitely do that. Right. Like, right. Okay. How's the knee feeling? Mm. And then I realize sometimes it's not as bad as, <laughs> as maybe I mm. thought it was. <laughs> mm. the-
1: so, if funny thing you mentioned that, you know, you feel the same way when you go running. So I don't think that through doing these like, <laughs> you know, like weird poses uh, is the only way, you know, in terms of um, conversing with your body and discovery what form, it doesn't have to be yoga or yoga in terms of doing poses. It could be through meditation, it could be through running, it could be through just stretching, I don't know, doing something else. Or it could be just through like cleaning, uh, which is a really big ritual in um, Buddhist tradition and uh, Hindu tradition too, I think.
0: I feel like there's, there's all these sort of facets of that sort of all combined to healthy living. And and the next Mm. one I want to talk about is veganism. So, Mm. um, off air, we were talking a bit about how you didn't really see yourself in the position you are now in regards to Mm. not only being a vegan, but writing a book, um, about vegan recipes. So how Mm. did, um, how did this all come about? How did you first turn towards veganism?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I used to be the biggest meat lover. You know? <laughs> I used to get Korean barbecue every single week, you know. And I could not end a day without eating meat. <laughs> I was like that. And I never doubted, you know, like this behavior. I mean, I thought eating meat gives me energy. And mm-hmm. I needed to eat meat to have stamina and have energy and get going, all that stuff. Um, but then after I started yoga, um, well, in yoga tradition, vegetarian, vegetarianism, being vegetarian is like the norm. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a try because all these other yogis and yoginis are vegetarian. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll do vegetarian. And then I start. I gradually shifted towards uh, vegan. Vegan is so basically, you don't eat meat, fish, uh, dairy, and uh, eggs. Yeah. <laughs> and vegetarian, if you're vegetarian, you still eat eggs and consume dairy. So that, that's kind of like the difference. But um, for me, I just shifted very gradually. And while I started doing that, I realized that, you know what, like, it's, it's not that hard for me to not eat meat well, for me, fish was kind of difficult, uh, but and eggs were more difficult. But for me, meat was quite easy, actually, which was surprising because I used to be this like biggest meat lover ever. Right. So it surprised me myself too. But I guess with the right mindset that I guess the mindset I had was, okay, I consume so much meat over the years, that I had enough to eat for my entire life, I was done. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I don't need to eat more meat. That's how I felt. That's the mindset I had. So I really didn't crave meat at all, actually. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even use that much like, you know, like fake meat, Alternative or uh, substitute anything like that. I didn't, you know, go for those things. I mean, I had them occasionally, but um, yeah, we, even without them, I I was just fine. <laughs> but I think everyone's journey is different, so I don't think that this will apply to everyone. But for me, like quitting meat was actually quite easy mm. with the right mindset. Mm.
0: It's really intriguing. And did you feel like the health benefits that came with that? Mm. Did you feel the changes, uh, you know, within a few weeks? Or did it take a few months? Or was there were there any at all in regards to sort of how you felt health wise?
1: (laughs) It's really interesting, because before I became vegetarian or vegan, I was really healthy. (laughs) Like I never got sick. I was one of those kids that never got sick. (laughs) Like like, I would get like flu maybe like once in 10 years, (laughs) something like that. I would get fever maybe once in five years, something like that. So I was very, very healthy. Actually, I was worried that if I only eat vegetables, I might become not healthy. <laughs> that was my concern. Um, so when I started eating only vegetables, and well, not just vegetables, but you know, like having vegetarian diet, mm-hmm. I found that I didn't feel unhealthy at all. I felt really good. I felt a lot of energy, actually. And I was totally fine. So <laughs> if, I, if I started from point of being really unhealthy. And then, you know, oh, I became really healthy. That's a really nice story. But for me, it was like, uh, same. But it's just kind of like, it's difficult to say, because like I said, I gradually shifted, right? I don't know if I was truly healthy, when I was eating meat and anything I wanted to eat. um, Because I compare the charts, like health exam charts from before I became vegan and after I became vegan, and they're clearly different, like blood um, you know, numbers and everything, they're clearly different. So things were improving inside of me, but I just didn't know because uh, before I became vegan or vegetarian, I guess I was still young enough and all these, you know, things weren't coming up like physically as symptoms.
0: That's really amazing too to have someone like you who has ate meat before, who also Mm -hmm. can say, Oh, it's healthy, but now I'm healthier. Uh, Because I feel like one of the major sort of blocks people have who aren't vegan or I'm not vegan uh, is that you sometimes get these people who will be like, their life was, you know, in shambles and they're so unhealthy. And then they became vegan. And now now their life is wonderful. You know, mm. <laughs> so people hear that and they're kind of like, OK, like, you know, that's an interesting story, but it's interesting to hear how for you um, and I've, I've seen, you know, some of your videos, I really like your approach. That's very soft. It's very like if you want to try to become vegan, you know, give it a mm. shot. You know, Maybe you're not a mm. vegan at all, but try these vegan recipes. And um, it might be a slow process, but I think mm. I read somewhere, um, and this is maybe something I'd like to introduce to my school one day, is um, even if it's something as simple as like every Tuesday, you don't consume meat. Mm. Every Tuesday mm. and Wednesday, you don't consume meat, uh, maybe even no dairy. When you mm. multiply that, tens of millions of people, all of a sudden yeah. you have a huge effect in regards to mm. things carbon footprint and you know oh it's yes
1: just, definitely
0: so yeah i, I love your approach so it's not very militant which unfortunately mm. i feel and you you might be able to tell me more about this is i feel like in the vegan mm. community mm. unfortunately there's a lot of people you know what i mean in that camp who are just kind of like mm. vegan and if you're not vegan mm. mm, mm, mm. so yeah I, I love that approach you have because
1: for me i come from yoga tradition, you know, I started being vegan and vegetarian because of yoga. And yoga is all about kindness. Yoga is all about love. So I always have this um, mindset that only positivity brings positivity. And if you approach something with a negative mind, you will only attract negative things. So I mean, like, I know there are a lot of um, cruel things and bad things that people do to animals. I, I'm, of course, I, I'm aware of that. And I don't agree with that and oppose that. But I just approach it differently. You know, like, if I go into the direction of exposing such things to people and say like, look, you know, like stop your behavior and like change your way, then people will only like feel resistant. You know, You, you don't want to change like that. Well, some people might. I mean, you know, some people might think it's such an eye-opening event that they change the next day. It could happen. But for me, the approach is very different. Like, I want to, I want people to basically think for themselves, decide for themselves. And there are so many people who just don't know, (laughs) you know, they just don't know what they're eating. They just don't know, like, what they're doing. So, For me, I just want them to know that there are so many different ways that you can look at life, uh, so many different ways that you can think about food and health. and, And after knowing all the facts and after knowing all this information, and if you still choose to, you know, eat meat here and there, fish eat here and there or like have eggs. It's your choice, you know, it's your life and you have all the right to decide what you want to do with yourself and with your family, you know, but I just want people to have the courage to, to really think and know everything. (laughs) That's just um, how I feel.
0: And another point you uh, sort of touch upon in your YouTube is mm. this idea of skincare, care. And mm. uh, it's kind of interesting because we just had, um, I, this hasn't been uploaded yet, but a guest who uh, is a CEO of a skincare care uh, routine oh, okay. But I know you're sort of on the opposite end in the sense that mm. you've done, um, I think the Japanese word was something, like hada, was it hadadan, hadadanjiki.
1: Mm-hmm. hadadanjiki,
0: where you, know, you weren't applying any um mm. products on so can you tell us a bit about that because i know my wife i was just talking to her about this yesterday and mm. she was telling me she's heard of this uh but she's kind of mm. scared to, to even <laughs> try because <it. laughs> she has a routine so, yeah mm. what what is the deal with the Hada and um mm. is, should people give it a try and, and what was your uh, experience
1: like Hadadanzuki is basically where you don't apply anything on your face and no makeup, no soap, no lotion, no serum, no like sunscreen. Well, I mean, you can put some sunscreen on actually, but um, you don't do anything to your face basically. So uh, the idea is, well, I suffered with acne for a long time. A long, long time since when I was a teenager up to four years ago when I started Hadodanjiki. Mm. I had acne all over my face all the time, like every every day of the year. <laughs> um, but then I started to realize that my face, the, the best time, best con- skin condition was in the morning when you know, my skin had time to rest without anything on my face, without any makeup, all that stuff. Mm. And then um, I read this book uh, about Hadadanjiki and saying, basically, like you apply makeup on your face, right? And then to remove the makeup, you have to use all these products to remove the makeup, which is very actually... um, abusive to your skin because it destroys the like a lot of layers on your skin and all that stuff and then you put something lotion serum things like that on your face which you think is doing good for your skin but it, <laughs> it actually is not <laughs> cuz think about it you're just applying all these like chemicals on your face 24/7 Like, it can't be good. It cannot be good. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you think, oh, I'm giving nutrients on my face, you know, for my skin. But these nutrients, will basically, like, you have so much bacteria on your skin, right? Um, And all over your body. And the balance is very important. And acne is just one type of um, bacteria that's living on your face. And if it just grows too much, then you get all sorts of problems, but you want the healthy, like good kind of bacteria to thrive. So that, um, you know, all these like bad things, bad bacteria doesn't overgrow but if you keep applying chemicals to your face to your skin then it kills everything like it kills all the good bacteria too so it messes up the balance of your skin um Mm -hmm. it's so it's not just your face but if you take antibiotics all the time it messes up the microbiome in your gut you know and then it leads to like all these allergies and autoimmune Diseases, things like that. So, I guess <laughs> I'm going everywhere, but uh, in terms of like skincare, it's not just for your skin, but for your health. I believe that less is better, less chemical, the better. So, that's how I approach health.
0: That's really intriguing how you connected it to antibiotics. So that's actually what I was thinking in my head uh, that there's definitely that sort of similarity where especially like our generation Mm. i feel like was sort of that first generation at least in japan where it was just everything was antibiotics Mm. right you you get a cold Mm. antibiotics Mm. you know like you got something antibiotics and you just had this generation Mm. of kids who were taking sometimes you know five to ten weeks of antibiotics a year which Mm. is actually taking away their natural ability to Mm. fight off which I feel like a lot more people because of coronavirus are a bit more knowledgeable now of like, Oh, this is, Mm. you know, the body can fight it off or the body can't fight it off and how vaccines work. Right. I had no idea Uh, up until, Mm. you know, 34 right now. I had no idea till age 34, how vaccines worked. I just got them. I just went, I was like, most people, Mm. they just shot it. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to get sick. But it was very interesting when I actually looked at the background of how, how it works. Essentially it's almost making me sick on purpose. Uh, so Mm -hmm. that I can fight my body can fight it uh, later on right
1: yeah so when you get fever and when you get cough and you get the symptoms you want to relieve the symptoms which Mm -hmm. is natural but by taking antibiotics uh, you're not treating the symptoms right you're just trying to kill the bacteria that's causing the symptoms but by doing that, you kill all the other bacteria that's living inside of you and helping you, helping you get better. So um, I guess if the symptoms are not too bad, like if they're bearable, then you bear with it. Like you just sleep in for like, you know, three, four days and get better. I think people are too busy. People are too preoccupied with what they have to do, like, oh, I have to go to school, I have to study, I have to, you know, go to work, uh, I have to raise kids, all these things. And they don't take the time to rest. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay if you have fever, you just stay in the bed for a few days. What is the big deal? Like, <laughs> you don't have to go to the office every single day. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> you, you just rest up. Um, it's the way of like coming back to more like natural ways that I think people find their ultimate health. That's the mm-hmm. only way. Like if you go for just like fixing with more and more chemicals, you, you will not get healthy in the long run. That's, that's what I think.
0: Intriguing. And I want to sort of shift over now to um, fasting. Um, I think mm. now <laughs> intermittent fasting, right, is quite common. Mm. I, it's, uh, I tried it myself a bit and I've talked to people. It seems like a lot of people have sort of tried it out. You've gone mm. a little bit the next level. You've done something, the 24-hour fasting. Um, mm. And there's actually a video on YouTube. Um, I put in the link to where you do 24-hour fasting for five days uh, yep. and then intermittent fasting for, I think, three days. Uh, so can you tell us about... Fasting in general, and mm. um, your experience as well as how would the average person, you know, who's never done fasting, how can they sort of get what would be like a nice first step? Because obviously, twenty-four mm. hours for someone who's never done it, <laughs> <it's> a terrible <laughs> idea, right? Yeah, it right? might
1: be hard. <laughs> yeah, so what yeah. would be
0: it? that way someone can get involved?
1: Okay, so basically, why why do you need to do fasting, or what why is fasting good for you? So when you think about uh, your everyday behavior, you wake up and you have breakfast and then you have lunch and then you have dinner and then you go to bed and next day you do the same thing again. But, uh, that means you like, it actually takes a lot of energy, uh, for your body to digest food. So when you eat food depends on, it also depends on what kind of food you eat. But if you are not if you're like regular person eating like meat and fish and animal, you know, protein all the time, it takes like six hours for animal protein to be fully digested. So, but when you think about your eating behavior, you have breakfast, you have like bacon and scrambled eggs for breakfast. And then before that gets fully digested, you eat <laughs> more meat for yeah. lunch, you know. Eat, you eat more things for lunch, and then you're putting so much strain on your body, so much strain on your gut mm. by doing that. You know, it's it's really simple when you think about it that way. You're running a little factory in your gut, you know, you have like fact like workers, like doing all this work for you, you know, making fuel for your body from the input that you put in, which is food. But then um, they're working really hard, right? Working really hard. Okay. I made fuel for you. And then you're like, okay, great. Here's more load for you. Bam, bam, bam. You're doing that like all the time. Because it's not just three meals, but a lot of people, they snack during the day. Like, oh, I had my lunch, but I'm just a little hungry. I'll just have my cake. You know, I'll I'll have my energy bar. You know, like you're eating all the time. You're eating constantly throughout the day. So fasting is just giving a much needed break to your body, for your body, uh, to your gut. So um, it's uh, the longer, the better, of course, you know, the time that you're um, not putting anything into your system. So they have, they really have the time to fully digest everything. And uh, so you, your body can absorb the nutrients and, you know, put the waste out of the system. That's also important, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: But Uh, Longer, the better. But if you're new to this, and you just want to try it out, then uh, the best thing to start is not having any breakfast.
0: Mm. That's an easy way to get into it. No mm, breakfast.
1: mm. (laughs) And because uh, there are like moments when you feel hungry, but it's just it's just kind of like feeling of hunger you know, and you will realize that, okay, in the morning, right about the time when usually you eat breakfast, you feel hungry. So what do you do? You eat breakfast, but if you don't eat breakfast, yeah, you get, you feel hungry, but if you don't eat, it will go away. You, you won't be like hungry until lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So you just drink some tea or if you're a coffee drinker, you drink coffee or just, you know, uh, you drink water and then it will pass. Like, just just give it some time and it will pass. Then you, you eat lunch and that's that's it. Yeah.
0: OK, so then you would have lunch and then you have dinner. Let's say lunch at 12 and then mm. dinner, at, you know, seven o'clock. So in mm. that case, not eating from 7 p.m. Uh, to mm. noon. So that would mm-hmm. be uh, about a 17 hour.
1: Or fast. Yeah, yeah. So the goal is to uh, have, like, at least 16 hours. Yeah, if you can finish your dinner by eight o'clock at night, and you have lunch around noon, then that's fine. You know, you don't have any breakfast and but if that's also really hard, like you're so used to having big breakfast, you know like feast breakfast every single day, then yeah. for you like it's really hard to not have anything to eat in the morning, then start with like smoothie start with something that's really easy to to mm. just go go through you know what I mean not like solid food and avoid animal protein like have only vegetables or you can have salad but chew very well Mm. and then once you get used to that then have no breakfast
0: okay that's interesting (laughs) that that would be sort of the most beginner entry way it would not Mm. just be no breakfast but would be maybe something very small in the morning Mm. like a smoothie and then Mm. eat eat dinner and I just I think Think that is a realistic way and I definitely even just within mm. my community there's definitely a lot of people that um that do that. They eat lunch, they eat dinner, and mm. then um as you said, I think some of them have a little bit for breakfast. But again it's usually very mm.
1: the reason why like I want people to try fasting saying doesn't mean like you don't eat anything for like five days, but you know just like a small fasting like that, like not having breakfast, is like I want people well, fasting makes you realize so many things like, oh, I get hungry, but actually this hunger is kind of fake you know? <laughs> because my body doesn't need more food right now, but it's just, the, it's your brain telling you like, oh, it's time to eat, it's time to eat, but it's not like you actually need to eat. So you, you start to think about like, what is really necessary? What is really essential? for your Mm -hmm. life. Like, do I really need to eat this much? So once you start eating, you feel like, oh, like I'm, I'm hung, like I'm not hungry anymore. I'm full, but you keep eating because you have a plate full of food. So you just keep eating. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like you, it makes you realize like what is really needed, kind of like a different Theme that I have uh, in my life and on my channel, which is like minimalism. Uh, mm-hmm. So you think about what's essential for your life, not go over that line, <laughs> I guess, to stay healthy and to stay happy.
0: Yeah, I feel like it brings us back to sort of that conversation with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Something that's hunger. hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm so hungry. And, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm miserable mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time. It, it does seem like uh, once you get used to sort of understanding how your body operates, mm. sort of a, not antiquated, um, but it's just maybe against what our bodies really need.
1: And, mm, you know, exactly. Because sometimes <laughs> your brain can tell you all these things. Like, for example, with sugar or alcohol or um, with uh, caffeine, you know, your brain is telling you, like, oh, like, you need more of this, more of this, more of this, or fat, you know. But actually, uh, if you keep taking, like, too much sugar, then, of course, you know, it will lead you to a really bad place. <laughs> so in a way, sometimes you need to doubt your mind. Like, you need to step back and think, is it really, like, uh, my body that needs it, or just my brain's telling me to do this.
0: Mm, that's a great point. That that there's that sort of a disconnect almost between the mm. brain and the body that you need to realize, and it connects back to what mm. you were saying with yoga and stuff too, where mm, mm. It's so difficult sometimes though for for mm, people mm. to <laughs> at least <Right>. for me <laughs> to a mm. certain degree you know you do you have this youtube channel now i like said i think 88000 so 100000 followers probably within the year uh, it looks like that huge hopefully <laughs> mark is coming up would you say mm. most of your followers are japanese nationals
1: mm i i would say so uh but there are well so i i try to put uh, english subtitle on all my all my videos, mostly all my videos. So I do have uh, some English speaking viewers, but because I only speak in Japanese in my videos, most of the uh, viewers are subscribers are Japanese, I would say.
0: And would you say this sort of community of, you know, vegans, I, mean, I assume a chunk of them are vegans, maybe not, you know, um, all of them, but would you say that this community of, you know, vegan and vegans in Japan is a growing phenomenon?
1: My channel, actually, uh, most of the people who are watching my channel and who are subscribing to my channel are actually not vegan at all. (laughs) It's a funny thing. Um, But um, a lot of them are like, they discover my channel through something else maybe through yoga uh, or through this there's one video that i have which have uh, which has over 1 million views which mm-hmm. is on like salad salad recipe <laughs> video mm-hmm. so a lot of people come to my channel through that video just watching salad video and um so when they come, they don't even know that I'm vegan like this is a vegan channel <laughs> and then they start watching different videos, different um yeah uh, different videos, and then they find out that oh she's actually vegan what is vegan like like they know vegetarian, but what is vegan? <laughs> you know and then they start doing more research and they're like, oh okay, so there's such a thing like (laughs) and then you know they become interested in in veganism and then actually some of them become vegan but not not everyone of course so it's it's a nice way of like getting (laughs) into to that kind of lifestyle because you come from something very different so your question was is vegan uh, movement rising in Japan and I, I think so because just last year alone so many new vegan places opened up in Tokyo like vegan shops, vegan uh cafes, you know mm-hmm. but I think it's because you know we were supposed to have Olympic Games in Tokyo <laughs> last I year like <laughs> yeah and uh, over the years, well, years towards 2020, so many tourists, like foreign tourists, were coming to Japan. Mm. So uh, there was a rising demand for vegetarian food and vegan food. And I think a lot of uh, restaurants started to think about, like, oh, like maybe we need to cater these people's demand yeah, that's how it started. And big places like Moss burger now have a plant based burger and Dotor has like vegetarian burger, you know, all these places started to uh, make um, different plant based products, um, big places. And uh, so yeah, I would say, uh, people finding out more and more about uh, plant based options but i i would say the big change was before we used to think like you said you know like oh in the uh, vegan camp there are some scary people like extremists who are like well hard die like animal lovers i mean i'm not saying like that's a bad thing i'm just saying like they're those people and unfortunately that was creating this negative sort of like image you know about vegans Mm. but now people are looking at veganism from the perspective of health and also environment like environment has become a really big topic in japan and surprisingly so many people are switching to veganism or thinking about consuming less meat or um, because of the uh, climate change, you mm-hmm. know. So I think that has become the that has brought this like big change to how people see veganism in Japan.
0: I strongly agree. Yeah, I think that perspective is is definitely huge. That people no longer mm-hmm. feel like, and I, I'm sure you agree. I feel like in the '90s, to certain degree, 2000s my impression as well as my personal experience was sort of like, you know, you must become a vegan, you know, or else mm. you're a bad person. Whereas now mm. it's kind mm. of like, there's all these reasons based on science. And, you know, if you don't want to, that's okay. But, mm. you know, here are, here are reasons to become it. You know, I'm here to, you know, talk to you more about veganism or vegetarianism. Right. And I think that definitely, mm. so that welcomingness and as you said mm. earlier, so it connects with yoga and, and you know, Buddhism, just sort of not being judgmental is definitely a way to help mm. people jump on board. Mm. So mm. Your, your channel continues to grow. As I mentioned earlier, probably it will hit a hundred soon and who knows right with the way channels grow nowadays, <laughs> what be, a year or two from now, did you find um, at a certain point that you weren't able to really talk to people as much? Cause I'm sure in the earlier days you were able to, you know, if someone comments, you were able to probably give back a comment. So how has that sort of journey been from you from having, you know, a few thousand subscribers to now, you know, almost 100,000?
1: Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, but um, for me, number is just a number, right? And <laughs> it, there's not much uh, difference between having like a few thousand subscribers and, Uh, you know, 80, now 3000 subscribers, but um, biggest, I guess biggest difference is when I not not here in the mountains, (laughs) but when I go to Tokyo, I get noticed a lot now, like people are like, oh, you're Natsuki from Tokyo Beach Life, right? And people talk to me. So that has been a big change, I guess. But uh, also, um, I started doing like offline events, online and offline events last year, um, connecting with my uh, viewers a lot more. So that has given me more chance to get to know people individually and talk to people and find out like why, why they are, subscribing to my channel, (laughs) like, you know, what, what, what they find, like, interesting about my lifestyle and what they're learning. So yeah, number is just a number, but connecting with, with people in, in a real way is, I think, more important.
0: Interesting. And uh, this is the last question of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was originally going to ask you, you know, what is your favorite Dish on the book, but I feel like that's too. Mm. I don't want. I don't. You know, and I don't want to diminish the other thirteen. But so I'm. I'm going to, sort of <laughs> that to um, You know, for someone like me who's very. Um, mm. Mm. I I'm, I'm not. I, I don't cook. Basically, I barely cook. Mm. I, I do a lot of takeaway. But for someone who doesn't cook that much, which one of the fourteen dishes would you say is the mm. easiest for someone mm. to prepare?
1: I would say from the Russian section. Mm. Uh, I recommend mushroom stroganoff stew. It's mm. kind of like cream, creamy, a little bit sour, uh, creamy mushroom stew kind of thing that you put over, like, in the recipe. I put it over rice, but you can put it over like uh, cooked pasta or anything like that. And uh, it's really easy because when you think about cream, creamy sauce, like white sauce, uh, if you make with cow milk, it's actually not that easy to make. You can ask your wife, but it's not so easy to make. But yeah. with plant-based, I use cashew milk, which mm-hmm. is really easy to make. You just put cashew, raw cashew nuts and water in high-speed blender, and you just blend it, and you have cashew milk. <laughs> it's really easy. And you just combine it with mushroom and then Cook on uh, in a pan or pot. That's it, and some salt. So mm. it's really easy. And as you heat it, it the the sauce thickens to nice consistency. So you don't need to do anything. You just need to, you know, like. <laughs> so that's yeah. really easy, but it's so creamy, it's so rich, it's so tasty that you cannot believe like this is not from cow milk. It's not like the regular white uh, creamy sauce that you get. So it's it's one dish um, that actually, so when I was making this recipe book, I had photo shoot of course, and um my editor who is Japanese and she's not vegan, she came from Tokyo and uh, she tasted all the food i made yep. and this was her fa- most favorite dish so okay yeah. so i
0: just to add on a bit with the the you know the milk i know nowadays i guess in japanese it'd be told you, right that any mm. kind of um, um, mm. uh, nut-based milk uh, mm, for those mm. who are especially not mm. cooking like myself you can also mm. just buy those right that's actually what i do i drink that you know the the most common one with the sort of blue label on it. It has like the, the almond milk. Yeah, mm,
1: so mm, mm. almond milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. For me, that's been easier because I don't even have a blender. So for someone like me, <laughs> <without a> blender,
1: <laughs>
0: they are available, sure. right?
1: <laughs> mm, <laughs> mm. fine. Yeah, yeah. You can you can make with uh soy milk, almond milk. Except I think cashew milk thickens a lot better so um it's much easier to work with so um i actually recommend getting a blender <laughs> because if you have a blender you can make smoothies too <laughs> who doesn't <That's> like smoothies
0: that's <laughs> a really good point And smoothies too yeah. i feel like you have a whole whole episode just on smoothies right <laughs> a whole mm. smoothie
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: but um on that note i like to finish the podcast with asking the guest mm what is to come in their lives in the next few years next few decades so if you can tell us uh, what is to come uh, i would appreciate it
1: what is to come oh i don't know (laughs) um well so i want to keep growing my channel to reach more people um and uh, to this point, I was mostly doing, um, you know, YouTube and offline online events. But I want to th- start thinking about doing more business stuff <laughs> to spread the world of veganism and um, letting people experience this wonderful world of veganism and and yoga also mm. so i'm yeah
0: <laughs> yeah you were mentioning some business ideas offline but i mean obviously we'll mm. keep that as a secret for now i don't mm. even know my <laughs> but i guess the rest of us will we'll will all know probably in the coming coming months coming years your various business ventures that you are mm. um, hoping to get involved in and um yeah congratulations in a new place right you moved out to nagano and, thank you. Uh, hopefully, that uh, is going to be a very different lifestyle from living in Tokyo, mm. but it's gonna be mm. far more conducive to, you know, sort of minimalist and uh, living a very healthy yoga vegan life. Great having you on today. Um, we'll definitely connect your, your YouTube channel and the little, uh, you know, thing in the bottom here. And um, thank you. That note uh, that was the last episode of season six, um, episode 60. Uh, That was with Natsuki. Uh, Thank you again for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much.